message we proclaim is the power of His name. We preach Christ. We are the voice that cries the truth today. And of this truth, we will never be ashamed. Though many doubters rise and reject the claims of Christ, God's unchanging word will still remain. We have this moment, this hour, to seek and save the lost, to speak the name of Jesus and point them to the cross. We preach Christ, who was crucified and risen from the grave. We preach Christ, the only one who has the strength to save. The message we proclaim is the power of His name. We preach Christ. So we lift the name of Jesus for all the world to see. The message of salvation to all who will be. sure where they were going to go there. They sound like you're getting ready to take off. Man, boy, that good, huh? Well, I like that. We preach Christ. Well, I'll tell you what, we start preaching anything but Christ, we got a problem. Man, we got a problem, okay? Well, we're talking about missions, as I said, the last two weeks, last week and this week. And again, tonight, we'll have with us a missionary uh, brother man and his family. And we're excited about that, looking forward to having them in. I trust you'll be here in your place. I trust you'll come on back and uh, be a blessing to him and his family. And again, there's just something about preaching to a crowd of people. Uh, there's nothing wrong with preaching to, preaching to two or three. But boy, I'll tell you what, if there's two or three hundred or two or three thousand, it encourages us because we say there's people out there that believe what I believe. And boy, I'll tell you what, let's come back tonight in force and let's let this preacher know. Uh, we're getting a lot of ringing up here, guys. Let this preacher know that we've got uh, a people here that support and encourage missions and want to support and encourage missionaries. And so, anyway, uh, tonight uh, we'll have our brother man and his wife and family with us. We're excited about that, looking forward to it. Well, I'll tell you what, take your Bible, if you would, turn over the book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts, chapter 1. Am I, am I on here? Am I on? Just take, just, I, in, take your, turn to the Acts. 
Oh, okay, it's working there now. Okay, good. I was a little concerned there for a moment. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Again, missions. We're emphasizing that just uh, through this week. And Wednesday, we'll finish up a little Wednesday series I started as well on missions. And boy, we've had a good time. Last week was good, wasn't it? Boy, that preacher was awesome. That missionary that we had last week, boy, he just nailed it. I mean, he was right out of the Word of God. Amen. And boy, that was powerful. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Uh, Let's go ahead and consider this matter of missions. That's what we're called today, the message, this matter of missions. All right. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom? To Israel, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you unto heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Following the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he spends 40 days on earth engaging, equipping, and enabling the disciples for the mission that He had for them. Again, in our passage, we are privileged today to be able to join those disciples there as Christ is giving His final charge to them. What a privilege it is to be included in these words, to hear the very words of our Lord as He prepares or embarks on His journey back to heaven. Now, In this particular passage, we see a couple of things. Number one, we see the promise here. In verse 4 and 5, he lets them know that that to wait for the, the promise of the Father. He says, listen, you've heard me speak of this one that would be sent after I depart. Now, I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to wait here. John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So we have this promise of the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost of God, Christ Himself coming to indwell us, to live in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. What a tremendous promise that is to the believer today, that we have Christ in us. Not only that, but we see the perplexity that the disciples expressed here. Notice in verse 6 and 7, he goes on, they go on to say this. They say, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Jesus Christ has died, as we said. He's been buried and risen again. Now these disciples who had traveled with him three years, three and a half years, they look at him and they say, Lord, are you prepared to establish your kingdom? Listen, the kingdom in which you will rule and reign, the kingdom in which you will sit on the throne of David, with the, 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 the kingdom that will elevate Israel and put them as the the preeminent nation of all the earth. We're looking forward to that. We've followed you. We've traveled with you. we've, we've, We've supported you all these years. And we now look forward to sitting with you on the right hand, the left hand, in this kingdom with you. You prepared? You ready to establish it? When will this happen? They thought that he was prepared to do that at that time, but he wasn't. 
As a matter of fact, we now live in what's called the church age. A dispensation of, dispensation of grace. And God had something bigger on His mind and His heart depending on what Israel would do with him. The nation rejected him. So he opens up salvation to you and I in a very free and very wonderful way. Grace through faith. And so for the last 2,000 years, we've been waiting for the kingdom. Jesus Christ has yet to descend from heaven, yet to establish his throne in Jerusalem, yet to reign upon it, yet to rule with the rod of iron, yet to rule the nations. But one day he will. And we have not only a promise of the indwelling of His Holy Spirit, but we, have, we see the perplexity of these disciples. He says, listen, there's something else here. He goes on to say, it's not for you to know when that kingdom will be restored. That's not necessary now. I'll have some further instruction for you, He says. And He begins to share with them some things. Notice the program that He shares in verse 8. He goes on to tell them, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the othermost part of the earth. There in that program, we see that there's power. The power of the Holy Spirit to empower a people to accomplish the purpose of God. We see the program, not just the power of it, but the person of it. That person is none other than Jesus Christ. Christ in us. We see the pursuit The pursuit is to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the person of Christ. It's not just a formula we take to the world. It is a person, Jesus Christ. It's not just a plan. It's a person, Jesus Christ. When I witness, I don't just share a one, two, three, four plan. I share a person with people, and so do you. And that's what God intended for us to do. We see the power, the person, the pursuit. But also in that program, we see the progress. God intends that we succeed in this purpose that He gives us, in this program. God doesn't intend us to be stuck in neutral. God wants us to be going forward for Him. God wants us to accomplish His calling in our life and for our ministry and our churches today. And so we see the program, the power, the person, the pursuit, and the progress. But finally, we see the prospect. In verse 9 through 11, he says, he goes on to say, And when he had spoken these things, they beheld. And all of a sudden, they they begin to look and they see Christ going up in a cloud. And they're like, wow. There he goes. Woo! I don't know if they did the woo, but, but they were gazing, the Bible says. Gazing. Into heaven, and all of a sudden, the Bible tells us in verse eleven, while uh, verse ten, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. You know what those two men were? Angels. Those two men were angels. Which also said, "Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, so shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven." The prospect of the return of Christ. What hope that brings us today. To know that we are here, yes, on earth. To accomplish the calling of God. The great commission that God has given us. But we don't do it alone. We have His indwelling presence and power. We have His program with us. But we also have the wonderful hope of His return. Even as He left, He will return again. And when He returns the next time, it's going to be a lot different than it was the first time. A lot different. 
These men, again, had spent the last three and a half years or three years with the Lord. And now, these, in these final moments, he capsulizes his purpose and his goals for them. He delivers their mission. And their mission is to ensure that the world knows him. Amen. And is given an opportunity to realize his love and life. Man, I'll tell you what. The, the disciples went on to accomplish the goal. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the disciples reached the world with the gospel? I read a statistic the other day that said that the world has never been reached by the gospel. And I thought, I don't care what agency you're from. I don't care what church you're from. The fact is you didn't read the Bible. Because before the disciples left the scene, they had already reached the known world for Jesus Christ. Everyone had an opportunity to at least hear whether they received and accepted is another issue. Because the fact is, is that we all are given a will. We have a choice that must be made when it comes to being confronted with Christ. We see and hear of the wonderful grace of God. We recognize His sacrifice on Calvary. But it's our decision whether or not we'll trust Him, receive Him, accept Him. And in those days, they had the same choice to make. And some chose to receive and accept, and others rejected. And unfortunately, when a husband, a wife, a mom, or a dad rejects Jesus Christ, then their children never hear the gospel. And as a result of that, generation after generation continues to live life without Christ. How imperative and important it is that today in America, we make the gospel of Jesus Christ known to the world and this nation so that children in the next generation can be affected by their parents Today. Otherwise, we'll be in the same boat that we're in now. Do you realize there are 7,238,000,000 people on earth today? They're just today, in this date today, on June the 8th, there will be 147,000 people born in the world you realize there'll be 60,800 deaths today? That means that there's a population growth today alone of 86,000 people. That's amazing. When you consider the year to date, birth to date, to this date, June 8th, there have been 60,312,000 births. And it just keeps going up. It's just like click, 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 click. I mean, there have been 24,800 uh, 24,800,000 deaths. That means there's over 35 million more people on this earth today than there was on January 1 of this year. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the world is growing. There's more people than ever on the earth. And yet the mission is the same today as it was in Jesus' day. In the disciples' day. He left his disciples to evangelize the world. So today, I want to consider and discuss this matter of missions. And I want to look at it from just three simple perspectives in just the next few moments. One, missions, the mechanics. Two, missions, the members. And finally, three, missions, the motive. And we're going to look at those three aspects of missions very briefly today. And we'll trust the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father, we come to you, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather here today. Lord, may you just move us and encourage us today. We don't have much time this morning, Lord, but what we do have is your Holy Spirit and your word. Lord, little is much when you're in it. 
Help us now, Lord, just to trust you now, to lean on you. And Lord, if there be any in this place that do not have a clear salvation experience, have never truly trusted and received Christ, have never depended solely, completely on the finished work of Jesus Christ for their forgiveness and their salvation, Lord, may they settle that today before they leave. And Lord, if there be a child of God who has neglected their responsibility in taking Christ to the world, then, Lord, may our hearts be stirred today. May we have even a greater desire than ever to tell others of Christ. We'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. All right, first of all, let us consider the missions, the mechanics. When we think about the mechanics, we're talking about the nuts and the bolts of things. And I'm just going to give you a couple of things very quickly. One, the gospel. The gospel's essential. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, turn there if you would, please. There is no missions without without the gospel. It just doesn't exist. Now again, there's a number of missions, so-called, we call it missions, but it doesn't include or incorporate the gospel in our world today. Uh, Listen, don't, don't misunderstand me. I think we need to feed people, and I think we need to clothe people. I think it's important to show the love of Christ. But if we neglect or we, we, we do not include the gospel, then we are not truly performing biblical missions. I, I'm sorry, is there, was there a kink there or something? Somebody just got... <gasps> no, you, you have to include the gospel or it's not biblical missions. God didn't leave the disciples here to make sure that the world was fed physically. He left them here to make sure they were fed spiritually. We can utilize means by which to reach people, to draw them, to get their attention, to encourage them, to express the love of Christ so that they're open and and willing to hear the gospel. And ultimately, we pray, trust Him themselves. But those are tools we use. They are not missions itself by and of themselves. They're tools in this aspect of missions. So the gospel, essential, essential. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, here it is now, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, again, you want to summarize the gospel. You want to put it in a nice little, little box, if you will. You want to try to kind of capsulize it, if you want. Right there it is. It is nothing less, nothing more than the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By definition of Scripture. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's simple, basic. Anyone can understand it. And God intends it to be that basic and simple so that anyone can. The Word of God is very practical. Philosophy, ideology are of real concerns. I understand that. But without the nuts and the bolts, the day-to-day basics and fundamentals, may I say there will be no success in the work of God. If we do not incorporate, include, and emphasize the gospel the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our work, and we'll be wasting time. Not only do we see the gospel, but we see the game plan. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. I told you we are going to move quickly today. We spent a lot of time in the intro. 
Notice what it says here in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. Often this is referred to as the Great Commission. You go to a Bible college or you go to some kind of seminary, you read any books on doctrine, you'll see it uh, uh, listed as the Great Commission. It's just God expressing His desire, His mission, His goals for His disciples in that day as well as this day today. Notice what it says here, the game plan. Go ye therefore, verse 19, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Okay, we've got the game plan. You're talking about missions, the mechanics of missions. Well, you need the gospel, first of all, but then there's a game plan. How do you incorporate that gospel? How do you give that gospel? How do you, how do you make it live and how do you continue to help it grow? Well, in Matthew, we see the game plan expressed and explained by the Lord Jesus. One, you invite. He said, invite them to come to a loving, compassionate Savior here. Right there in the passage, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's a different teach than what we're going to talk about in just a moment. We're talking about sharing with them the death, the burial, and resurrection. We go and we carry the gospel. We invite people to come to a loving, compassionate Savior named Jesus Christ, who died for them on a cross, who was buried and rose again for the forgiveness of their sin. Then we see we are to include. We're to include. He goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. A prerequisite for church membership is baptism. When a person comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they are to be baptized. They're they're not to put it off. They're not to consider it down the road. They're to simply obey the gospel plan, the word of God, and say, I've trusted Christ. I've received the gospel. Now I will take my step of obedience and be baptized. Amen. Just like the Philippian, uh, excuse me, the Ethiopian eunuch was. Just like the Philippian jailer was. Just like Jesus himself set the example in Matthew. I too want to follow in my master's footsteps. I too want to obey God in believer's baptism. I died with Christ. I rose with Christ according to Romans chapter 6. Now I'm going to identify with Christ and his doctrine and his beliefs and his word and his church. We include them in a loving church family. They come and become part of this church family, this church home. That's part of God's game plan. Then, finally, we notice here, We're to instruct, instruct them. He goes on to say, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we go and teach them or give them the gospel. We go to them. We don't wait for them to come to us. Did did you get that? I'd love it if people just like the Philippian jailer go, what must I do to be saved? Boy, I've not had that happen more than twice in my entire life as a Christian. Two times that I can remember, somebody literally asked me that question, basically. Out of all the times I've talked to people and been with people. Now, the other day, thank God, the young lady that Tony and I had a chance to lead the Lord said to us, I was just in there thinking about these things before you came to the door. Isn't that amazing? How the Lord begins to prepare hearts. But, but she didn't come to the door and say, what must I do to be saved? We went to her. And you go to them, and we as a church go to the world. And so we take the gospel. We go with the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And then, then when we, we, we get there, we, we say, okay, you've been saved. Now it's time to be included in the church family. You're baptized into the body of Christ when you're saved by the Spirit of God. But now you're being baptized into a physical body where you can function as part of God's church and reach the world with the gospel. God intends it to be that way. And there's accountability there and there's love there and there's encouragement there. And so now they're included in this family. And then finally, they're instructed. We teach them the things of the Word of God. We teach them about Christ, His love, His mercy, His grace. We teach them about the Christian life, how to appropriately handle themselves in a world that is anti-Christ, how to encourage themselves in the things of Christ. Well, we teach them, instruct them, equip them for the work of God, for the perfecting of the saints. The gospel, the game plan. We see the mechanics. Number two, the mission. Uh, we see missions, the members. The members. Okay, who's included in this thing? It's a team effort, isn't it? But let me give you just two players. One, Christ. Christ. Again, we've mentioned him a lot today. It seems that he just keeps coming up. He ought to. It's a good thing when his name's mentioned often. We sing that little chorus, Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and He's just the same as His lovely name, and that's the reason why I love Him so, for Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Man, it's a sweet name. Well, we love to hear the name of Jesus. And so Jesus Christ, He's one of those participants. He's part of the team, if you will. There is no team without Him. There's no mission without the Master. We have a sinless life. We have a substitutionary sacrifice. His supernatural resurrection. We have a staggering intercession, according to Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost, to come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. And then we finally see His stunning invitation. Isn't it wonderful to know that the Lord Jesus Christ opens His arm and says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says over in the book of Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And there's no charge for this. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ offering Himself Offering His forgiveness. Offering His salvation. Offering us His abode. All free for the asking. When you take a set of steak knives to someone's house and you try to sell them. You take some product that you're trying to sell at the door. And you start to tell them about it and they get intrigued by it and they start to get excited about it. And then you say, by the way, they say, how much is it? And you say, let me tell you a little more about it first. And finally, you pull it out and you say, this is how much. And they go, mm. I don't know about you, but, and, and, and maybe you don't watch TV, but I do. But nonetheless, um, I was watching this commercial, and, and these ladies are looking at shoes. Just recently started coming on. And they, they turn the shoe up and they go, and they got all these weird faces when they see the price of the shoes. And it makes me laugh every time I see it. I love that commercial. It's hilarious to me. I don't even know what the commercial's for or who it's for, but it's hilarious. Now, wait a second. That's what it's like. You're going to the door and you're trying to sell something and you just keep giving them the pluses, the pluses, the pluses, because sooner or later you're going to drop the bomb. 
This is how much it is. And they go, oh. Now, wait a second. With Jesus Christ, it's not like that. We get to go to the Lord and we get to tell Him all the pluses and all the wonderful things that Jesus offers us. And then at the end, they say, how much? And they go, how much? And we go, free. Man, that's wonderful. Christ is part of the team. He's one of the members, if you will. And without Him, there is no team. No mission without the Master. But not only do we see Christ, but the Christians. Christians. We talk about missions, the members. Well, not just the Lord Jesus Christ, but also Christians today. We're part of this team in the book of Acts. Turn there, if you would, Acts chapter 8, please. Acts chapter 8. The early church, obviously, has come under tremendous persecution. God, of course, in Acts 1-8 had given them this, this mission to reach the world with the gospel, but they were pretty content to stay right where they were. God permitted persecution to enter into their lives, their homes, their families. Notice what happens now in chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul, we know that he ultimately becomes the apostle Paul, was consenting unto his death talking about Stephen's death in chapter 7. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And here these disciples were, and the Lord told them, you know, to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most part of the earth, blah, blah, blah. And they're just going, yeah, okay, okay, we hear you, we hear you, we're going to get it done. But nobody was going. They were staying right in Jerusalem. Man, that church was blowing up. Salvation after salvation, the church was growing. The problem was the world wasn't being reached. Notice what the Lord again sends. It says, And there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. That sounds like part of Acts chapter 1, verse 8 to me. All of a sudden, they're going into the area that God had intended them to go originally, except the apostles. The apostles didn't go. Who went then? Christians like you. Oh, okay, uh, if you want to say, well, you're a preacher, it's different. Of course you're supposed to witness, and of course you're supposed to take the gospel around. Of course you're, you're, you're even on paid staff here. Yes, I am. I love being paid to do what I love to do. That's awesome. You ought to try it sometime. But let me tell you this. The Bible doesn't teach that the pastors went. It doesn't teach that the disciples went. It teaches that the people went, the Christians, just the the normal, everyday working stiffs. The guys that have to face the world every day when they walk out the door, they have to face the devil eye to eye every day. They're the ones that ultimately were scattered abroad. They're the ones, according to the Bible here now, that it says here in chapter 8, verse 2, excuse me, verse 2, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made um, great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc on the church, entering into every house, hauling men and women, committed them to prison. And you know what? These people started going, it's not safe living in Jerusalem anymore. It's not safe working over here at this place where I've been for 20 years. It's not safe anymore. My family's in jeopardy. My life's in jeopardy. My well-being's in jeopardy. My future's in jeopardy. And verse 4 says, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere trying to find a good job. Went everywhere trying to establish a good retirement. 
Now, they divorced went everywhere, and maybe they did find good jobs. I don't know. But what I do know is, what I do know they did. Not, God didn't speak about anything else. What I know He did is, they went everywhere preaching the Word. That's what I know they did. Now, they may have done a lot of other things, but that's one thing I know they did. That was a priority in their life. That was something they couldn't keep their mouths shut. No wonder they were being persecuted because they wouldn't shut their mouths about Jesus. And the authorities didn't appreciate it and the Judaizers didn't like it. And they said, you will be quiet. You will not talk about Christ, the risen one. They said, we can't help it. Pretty soon, they were scattered abroad. Disciples, paid staff, stayed behind. The people of God, the Christians, just went out and did the work of God by proclaiming, preaching the word of God. See, the mission of uh, the mechanics is one thing. The members are another. We are the members. We make up that body that is commissioned to go to reach the world. Just because you choose not to be a part of a paid staff, because you don't want to necessarily, you don't feel led to be in full-time, quote, service, although we're all full-time servants. We still all have the responsibility to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all part of it. We're members. Finally, look here, last but not least. Missions, the motive. What's the motive of missions? When you all get down to it, what's the bottom line of missions? First of all, love. Love. John 3.16, you might know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten son. That what? Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Isaiah 53.4-6 Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. all right, I want you to note the instigator of this sacrifice. We're talking about a sacrifice here. No, notice it. It's, it's interesting. It's amazing to me. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. It says, for he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. It says that he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, Smitten of God. Smitten of God. No, I thought the Romans did that. God permitted it. God's the one that instigated this. God brought this to pass. God ordained this thing. He goes on to say, And the Lord, the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Can you imagine? God the Father literally laid the sins of the world on his shoulders. Literally allowed him to bear the the sin of the world in his own body on the tree. He instigated this. He ordained this. This wasn't by chance. wasn't by circumstance. It wasn't just some situation that came about. It was by divine providence. Amazing. That's called love. What love? Amazing love. Somebody may say, well, where in the world is the love of God? When they're facing a tragedy or a heartache. Where's God at now? Where's that love? If he really loved me, 
The fact is that our sin demanded payment. And the only sufficient payment for your sin and my sin was God's Son, Jesus Christ, perfect, holy. He alone could be the propitiation, that which would satisfy the holy, righteous demands of God. And when we talk about God's love and question His love, we forget that He loved us even though we put His Son on that cross. Even though it's our fault that He had to die. Even though in one sense we are murderers of the Son of God. And yet the very God who gave that Son in our stead willingly opens His arms and will receive us unto Himself. And then the moment a difficult time comes into our life, we look to the very God who literally forgave our murder of His Son. Who literally forgave us of our horrible sin. And we say, where are you at now? What have you done for me lately? If you really love me, why would you allow this situation, this circumstance in my life? Always seemingly forgetting the grace, the mercy, and the love that He's already bestowed upon us. I don't know of any other father that would forgive you if you murdered their son. I don't care how many new leaves you turn over. How much different you are five years from now. I don't know if they would be willing to say, fine, it's okay, don't worry about it, I forgive you. Matter of fact, not only do I forgive you, but you can become part of my family. Matter of fact, I'll even support you. Matter of fact, you can come move in with me. And matter of fact, I want you to live with me forever. You know what I'm saying? That's the kind of love God has for us. And you want to know something? When we talk about missions, the motive of missions... It's to share that kind of love, the love of Christ, to tell the world of God's love. Because when they recognize how wicked and sinful they are, and they understand how wonderful and loving He is, it makes it pretty hard to say no to Him. Boy, it's our job to do that. Oh, you can say no because you have a will and I have a will, but, boy, that's a wonderful thing, that love. See, we're taking a person to them. A person. And it's not our job to win the world. It's our job to warn them. And so we take Jesus Christ to them. Finally, life. The mission, the motive is love and then life. Turn, if you would, to 1 John 5.11. 1 John 5.11. Why do we spend thousands and thousands? Why do we commit so much money to missions? Why do we take up faith promise offerings and give 70, 80, 90,000 a year to missions. Why do we do those things? Because of that right there. Because of this right here. The need of people. The commission of God. I mean, God gives us. This is His plan, not ours. We don't do this because it's comfortable. I don't just do this because I feel good that I gave something. I do this because I believe God wants us to make a difference and an impact that He's commanded us to do this. And therefore, we sacrifice and we give and we even if possibly suffer, do without things that maybe others have for the purpose of reaching the world with the gospel. Because the real motive is to the love of Christ and life itself. 1 John 5.11 says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 
You see that? I, I, I'm going to tell you this right now. I, I, can, I can pass out water all day long, but if they don't get the sun, they're going to burn in hell. Now listen, I don't have a problem passing out water so people can see the love of Christ in me. But you better be careful. It's not whether or not they have a good job. It's not whether or not they have a nice home. It's not whether or not they have a, a secure future. That is not what gets a person eternal life. Eternal life is only found in one person, Jesus Christ. Nothing, no one else. Now listen, I'm not opposed to those things. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But what I am saying is, biblically and scripturally, there is no life without the Son. That's bottom line. There is no life without Jesus Christ. Therefore, when you go to a door, take Christ with you. Don't take your opinion. Don't take your outlook. Don't take your perspective. Take Christ. And when you go around the world... God speaks to your heart. Remember, it's not what you can give. It's who you can give. Amen. Jesus. You may use other tools, but in the end, the goal is Him, His love, because through His love, we find life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You don't have to guess. You can know today. I wonder today, what have you personally done about Christ? I'm talking about you personally, Him. He, he died for you. He was buried. He rose again. He provided you an escape. He has offered you eternal life. Have you accepted that? Is there a day, a time, a place when you remember recognizing, understanding that I'm that sinner that He died for? I personally have sinned against a holy God. It's not just what I do. It's who I am that's the problem. Oh, God, I can't do enough to earn your favor. I'm trusting, depending solely, completely upon your son, Jesus Christ, and his finished work on Calvary. Only him. Only Jesus. I trust you've done that. If you haven't, let me tell you, God's love is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His blood is efficable. That means it's able to be applied to all. And He can be applied to your life today, washing your sin away, making you new and fresh, whole, complete, a new creature in Christ. But if you're a child of God today, what will you do for Christ? You've already done something with Him, but what will you do for Him? We have a responsibility to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, resurrection. You say, well, that's what I'm talking about. Yes, but when you're telling them about the death, the burial, and resurrection, you're talking about a person. To take Christ to people. Is there somebody that you can think of lately that you've shared Christ with? That you've told about Jesus? Maybe you don't know how to lead someone to Christ. You don't know the steps of the plan. But you'd sure know the Savior if you've been saved. You could tell them at least what Jesus did for you and how good and wonderful He is. This matter of missions. It affects all of us, doesn't it? It affects us right where we live. It's not just about that missionary brother man who will be here tonight going overseas. 
It's about each one of us taking Christ wherever we go. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for all that you do for us. And we thank you for the simplicity of your word. Father in heaven, we are such a needy people today. Lord, each and every one of us, Father, have flaws and